So today, um, I'm going to finish up my series on Pentecost. Um, Not that I've said everything that could be said about the coming of the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to end it um, today. You know, um, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit coming. Last week, I shared that the Holy Spirit comes for guidance. And we learned in John 16 that the Holy Spirit will come and He's going to declare to us what He hears from the Father and the Son. He's going to declare things to come and He will glorify Jesus by taking what belongs to Christ and declaring it to us. And we learned that the process of the Holy Spirit declaring and guiding or declaring truth and guiding us is the process of revelation. You know, Paul prayed that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And the process of revelation is like suddenly opening a curtain uh, to a window and seeing what has been there all along, but we couldn't see it until it was revealed. I also shared that we all want a better tomorrow. You know, we're all looking for a brighter future. And we learned that a better future is always a freer future. You know, when we think about our future getting better, it, it usually means freedom from something or freedom unto something. And the big idea last week that I shared was that Jesus said the truth will make us free And therefore, a better future is built upon the revelation of truth in our lives through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If you want a better tomorrow, you need the truth of the Bible revealed in your life and lived out today. So like I said, today I'm going to finish up our series on Pentecost. Um... Today, um, we're going to look at the last words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples about what the Holy Spirit would do when he comes. And then we're going to answer a a question today. I I shared, I want to talk about the what, what does the Holy Spirit come to do? And I said, I want to talk about why. And today, we're going to answer that question, why did the Holy Spirit come? You know, the difference between what and why can be confusing sometimes. We mash them together and we interchange them. But when we talk about what, we're talking about activity or behavior. When we talk about why, we're talking about motivation or purpose. For instance, if you ask the person beside you, what is Tom doing right now? Well, it's pretty clear, you know. He's preaching a sermon. He's giving a talk. You can observe my actions and identify them rather clearly. But if you asked, why is Tom preaching this sermon? That answer could be all over the board. You know, some may say, well, he's paid to do it. Some would say, well, he likes to hear himself talk. 
if you know me and love me and believe the best about me, I would hope you might say something like, well, it's because he loves us and he loves the word of God and he wants us to be like Jesus. But if we don't know why something is done, then we can, re- we can really mess up in, in how we interpret what is being done. And until we answer the why question, we live under suspicion. Until we don't know the motivation and the purpose behind what is being said or done, we are cautious at best and accusatory at worst. I mean, think about when you were in school. I'm sure most of us had a moment when someone who never talked to us suddenly one day started being nice to us, right? I mean, here comes a stranger or someone we don't have a relationship with, and now all of a sudden they're treating us nicely. What is the first question you ask yourself? Why is this person being nice to me, right? Well, when we don't know a person's or an organization's why for what they do, it can wreck our interpretation of their actions. I mean, who would ever say that being kind or nice is a bad thing? Well, I'll tell you, only the person who questions why they're doing it. And I think this is where so many Christians have a problem with the person of the Holy Spirit. Not only do many believers question what the Holy Spirit comes to do, but many also question or don't understand why He comes to do what He does. When we get involved with the doing of things for God, you know, the what but we lack a strong sense of why we are doing these things, we can end up misrepresenting God. We can misrepresent our church, ourselves. So today, I'm going to wrap up this series with one last what the Holy Spirit comes to do, and then I'm going to talk about why He comes, and again, all according to just what did Jesus say. What did our Messiah say about him? I'm going to share our list one last time. He comes. He's another helper like Jesus. He teaches the disciples all things. These are all John 14, 15, and 16 words of Jesus. Brings to remembrance all that Jesus spoke to the disciples. Bears witness of Jesus. Convicts everyone of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He guides us in all truth. He will speak and declare to us what he hears from the Father and the Son. We He'll, uh, will declare things to come. He will glorify Jesus by taking what belongs to Christ and declaring it to us. And he will give us power to be witnesses. And this is where we're going to land today. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. These are the words of Christ. He says, but when... Uh, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Everyone say power. Power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. Sorry, I was just thinking about Kristen. We need power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So, here in Acts 1, you know, Jesus is, he's already been crucified. He's already been resurrected. He already conquered death. 
And now he's talking with his disciples one last time, and he's telling them one last thing about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them the Holy Spirit will come, and you will receive power. Say power. power. Now this word power in this verse is the Greek word dunamis. This is where we get our word dynamite from. Dunamis is the explosive power of God to change reality. Power is so important to advancing the kingdom of heaven. You know, when we read our Bibles, and we see this word power, It's so many times it's connected to healing and miracles. When the woman with an issue of blood touched Jesus in Mark 5.30, dunamis went out of Christ. Explosive power to change physical reality. Left Jesus and he healed that woman on the spot. There's a whole bunch of verses that has this word dunamis, Luke 5, 17. One of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and power, everyone say power, power. dunamis of the Lord was released to heal him. Luke 16, 6, 19, and all the crowd sought to touch him for power, say power. power. Dunamis came from him and healed them all. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the dunamis, the explosive power of the Most High, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Acts 4, 33, and with great power, say power. Dunamis, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Stephen, full of grace and power, Dunamis, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Power is what turns water into wine. Power is what produces miracles. Power is what caused the loaves and the fishes to multiply. Power is what opens deaf ears. It opens blind eyes. Power replaces missing or broken parts in our body. Jesus embodied the power of God. And he gave that power to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Power is a gift. Say, power is a gift. And Paul talks about some very specific ways that the Holy Spirit demonstrates this power through us. 1 Corinthians 12. Now each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To the one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. He distributes them, each one, just as He determines. Power is a gift 
from God. And verse 11 says the Holy Spirit uh, distributes these gifts to each one of us just as He determines. We cannot earn power. We can only receive it. Say, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, I receive the gift of power through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on my life. If you want the gift of power activated in your life, you must get filled and stay filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a few weeks ago, walking in the Spirit. But we also have to believe and expect that God will move in and through us with power. There are so many in the body of Christ that believe that the Holy Spirit comes and He lives in us. But when, uh, you know, when we're born again, but they don't believe that power comes with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to ask this question, at what point in history did God God start sending the Holy Spirit to live in us, but no longer came with the power portion of the Spirit? You know, it's kind of like going to your favorite ice cream shop and buying the same thing for years. And and then one day you walk in and you, you have them make your favorite ice cream, but they no longer provide a spoon. What am I supposed to do with this? I'm sorry, sir, we no longer provide spoons with our ice cream sundaes. It's like, you know, owning and driving your dad's luxury car, and then when you go to buy your own, it no longer comes with the same amenities. It's like a dumbed-down version of the original. See, the, the Holy Spirit, He doesn't come in two models. It doesn't come in the, the you know, the, there's the model that the apostles got, and then there's the modern day model that we get. The Holy Spirit and His power cannot be divided. You cannot have the Holy Spirit and not yet demonstrate power. That is exactly one of the greatest problems and failures of Christianity today. Christianity was never supposed to be only an intellectual community and family. It was always designed to be, yes, an intellectual community, but it also becomes a demonstration of power community. Both of those things. And so this leads us to our next big question. Why? Why did the Holy Spirit come? Why did He come with power, guidance, Revelation, conviction, remembrance, teaching. Let's read our verse again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes with power so that we can be witnesses of Jesus. Acts 1.8, in Acts 1.8, this verse we read, Jesus married power 
and witnessing. And they cannot be separated. The answer to why the Holy Spirit comes is connected to the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This kind of sounds like something we just read. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Every person who claims to have the Holy Spirit inside them is bound to this great mission that Jesus set before us. All of us. We call it the great co-mission because it is a mission that we are on together, mutually engaged with each other and with the Holy Spirit. We are on this mission together. Co means joint, it means mutual, it means common. We are on a joint and mutual mission that we all have in common. Every one of us. That is the Great Commission. And when Jesus spoke this promise of the Holy Spirit to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, verse 8, it was because he knew they would not be able to accomplish this mission until he had given them this gift of power through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It, is, it takes a demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit to allow the gospel to have maximum impact. Let's read what Paul said about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration, say demonstration, demonstration. but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. Now, let me give you some thoughts on why Paul made this statement. And I was, I was, as I was doing research, again, I was over at that website I shared last week, renner.org. It's just a, full of beautiful, wonderful insight. So I was over at that website again, and I found some amazing um, insight and background to about Paul and his ministry, and so I'm going to share a bunch of that information right now because it was so rich. So, so Paul, before coming to the city of Corinth and sharing the gospel, Paul first went to Athens. And during his time in Athens, he had impressively presented the gospel message. However, his teaching did not produce outstanding results. 
And as Paul left Athens and he began traveling towards Corinth, which, by the way, is a city that is rampant with uh, demonic activity. It's rampant with idolatry. It's rampant with extreme sexual perversion. So he's walking from Athens and he's heading towards Corinth. I imagine he's probably thinking about what happened in Athens. We all do it, right? Probably thought about what he had done right, what he'd done wrong, and why his results weren't as outstanding as they had been in other cities. So when you study Paul's ministry in the cities where he had the most dramatic results, you find that he did something in those places that he did not do in Athens. Now, in Athens, he worked really hard. He labored to preach a brilliant, intellectual, culturally relevant message to the Greek judges on Mars Hill. But when you look at how he ministered in other cities, you find that in addition to preaching a brilliant message, he also demonstrated miraculous power of God. And that demonstration of God's power was very important in pagan communities where the occult it was pervasive. Supernatural manifestations were happening all the time, over the place. Let me give you some examples. Acts 13. So Paul had a face-to-face confrontation with a local sorcerer. And the power that Paul demonstrated as he rebuked this sorcerer was so dramatic that the city uh, authorities were stunned. And it says in verse 12, it says, uh, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for, when he, uh, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This demonstration of God's power threw open the door for the gospel in that region. Let's look at Acts 14. In Acts 14, Paul again, he demonstrated supernatural power. He saw a crippled man who had never walked before. And so Paul tells him in Acts 14, verse 10, he says in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And as a consequence of that wonderful miracle, people turned their attention to the gospel. In Acts 16, Paul encounters a woman who is possessed with a spirit of divination. And after this girl had harassed Paul and his associates for several days, uh, Paul turned to her and he addressed the spirit. And in verse 18 it says, um, and she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. And when the demon exited the girl, it created such a stir with the local people that the, apostle, the apostolic team actually got thrown into jail. Because they were doing damage to the fortune-telling business. And so that night, Paul and Silas, they're praying and singing in jail now. Right? And they had another power moment happen. 
It says in 16, verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that, um, so that the, the foundations of the prison were shaking. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This act of power was so colossal in its impact that it, uh, the keeper of the prison actually says to him, what do I got to do to get saved? And his whole family comes to Jesus. These combined acts of power led to the salvation of this man's family. We read in Acts 19, it says where Paul found himself in the midst of Ephesus, which again was the world center of uh, Artemis worship. It was a city filled to the brim with demonic, supernatural activity. It was rampant. And in it was a moment when a demonstration of God's power uh, that was so desperately needed. It says in Acts 19, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And when the Ephesians saw this demonstration of power, verse 18, it says, And uh, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it, to came, uh, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. As a result of those combined manifestations of God's power, verse 20, again, it said, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. And we've got even in Acts 28, Paul was shipwrecked on an island. He was helping uh, the shipwrecked sailors gather wood to build a fire, right? And a venomous snake <laughs> latches right onto his arm. And instead of dying from the bite, he just shook it off in the fire, and there was no physical harm to him. And so when the local people saw this, they saw that the snake bite had no effect, they were so amazed that they said he was a god. Because of this miraculous event, the door of this island was open wide for the gospel. Paul was able to boldly preach the gospel to them. And then when a guy by the name of Publius, who was the uh, chief uh, man of the island, saw that his own father was critically ill, he called Paul to come pray for his father. And it says in verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius uh, lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hand on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever was needed. Again, because of this miraculous demonstration of power, verse 9 says that when they had taken place, everyone on the island brought their sick. Everyone who had diseases came and they got healed. So, 
When Paul goes into, he comes into these new dark territories to bring the light of the gospel. Acts tells us that he repeatedly did it with a demonstration of God's power. And that had a powerful effect on his audience. You know, is it possible that in Athens, Paul maybe felt pressure? I know I have when it comes to preaching the gospel. Pressure to to have an intellectual and a culturally relevant message. You know, Paul's talking to the judges at Mars Hill. And I mean, could he could he have had felt some pressure and 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 wanting to bring a really great, powerfully spoken and and then he but he overlooked something. He overlooked the need to accompany his message with the demonstration of power of God, like he'd done in so many. I mean, did he, did he get mesmerized by the intellectual tone of the city and the environment and end up leaving the Holy Spirit out? You know, Athens was, again, it was the world center of idolatry. It was overflowing with demonic, supernatural activity. And if there was anywhere that we needed a demonstration, Paul needed one there. I mean, just imagine if he could have demonstrated the power of God in front of all those judges on Mars Hill. What would have happened? If he could have shown them something that was far superior to anything they had seen. I bet things may have been different for him. And so it seems that Paul's approach to the city of Corinth As he was going into Corinth, he was reviewing his performance in Athens. And again, he says by his own testimony, he says when I, to to the Corinthians, he says, but when I came, brothers, I did not uh, come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. See, in Athens, he had brilliantly used words of man's wisdom. As he quoted, he quoted their poets, he He was quoting Greek philosophers. I mean, he was really with it. But then when he later recalls his first ministry, uh, when he's talking to the Corinthians, he says in verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So it's clear from Paul's own testimony that when, when Paul preached the powerful message of the gospel to the Corinthians, he had determined to go one step further than just simply preaching an intellectually and culturally relevant sermon. See, when he went to Corinth this time, he had made up in his mind also to come with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, just as he had done so many times in other pagan cities. Now, this word demonstration, it is translated from the Greek word apodexis. And it means to display, to show off, to demonstrate. Paul knew that to reach the Corinthians, it would require a demonstration of power so outstanding that it would convince the unbelieving audience that his preaching was more than just words. 
It was a message that was backed up by Almighty God himself. And he knew it would take an awe-inspiring demonstration of power to get their attention and persuade them that the gospel message was absolutely true. So Paul started his ministry in Corinth not only with words, but also with a demonstration. So why does the Holy Spirit come with power? He comes with power for us to be an effective witness. He comes with power for the Great Commission. Paul clearly demonstrated what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do and why he comes to us. As I stated earlier, there are not two different versions of the Holy Spirit. There's not the luxury model that the apostles got that had power everything. And then there's the economy model that we get that has no power windows, no power steering, no power brakes, no power nothing, right? Now we receive the Holy Spirit, and when we receive him, we receive power. Everyone say power. power. Just like Jesus promised. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that we understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is for witnessing? I think we are so disconnected from the why the Holy Spirit comes that we have relegated the power of the Holy Spirit to Sunday mornings. We are so afraid of the world. We are so afraid of its rejection. We are so afraid of its judgment that we are hiding in our churches, just practicing the power of God on each other week after week. And we never actually connect the what he came to do with the why he came to do it. Again, read the book of Acts yourself. There are almost no records of church services, synagogue meetings, or home meetings describing demonstrations of power. Why is that? Why is that? Why are almost all of the demonstrations of power in the marketplace where the unsaved, the demon-possessed, the idolatrous, the sexually immoral people were? Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit comes for power to witness. Now, I'm not saying that we don't pray for sick people here. I'm not saying we don't speak words of knowledge, we don't speak words of wisdom and prophetic words. But it does bother me that we hide in this building and that for some, we put God in a box and we can only dis- demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, when there's a worship team playing. It saddens me when I hear that, you know, we, we, we can't pray for the sick any other time in the service. And I get why we do it. I understand it. There's a heavy anointing. 
But when are we going to carry the anointing? When are we going to cultivate presence in our own lives so we carry the power of God? We don't need a worship team jamming for Jesus to get my gift on. When? When are we going to carry our own presence? Cultivate connection with the Lord that's so powerful. It's like Charles Finney walking through a factory and people are, are, are convicted of sin as he walks by. When are we going to cultivate enough presence and enough power to demonstrate among the unsaved people of our city? We are a little too comfortable. We are a little too complacent with the Great Commission. And we are lazy in demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Jesus. Now, I started this series on Pentecost talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we have seen the very words of Jesus about what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He comes for teaching, for remembering, for convicting, for guiding, declaring, and empowering. And today we learned why. It is to be a witness with power. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's to get saved, but that's the beginning. That's day one. That's the first day. You're saved now. Now you have him for power. That's why, to witness, to take the gospel to the unsaved people of our lives. So I have a prayer I want us to pray together, and then I have a declaration we're going to make. Why don't you stand up with me? We're just going to pray this prayer out loud together. So I'm not going to do repeat after me. We're just going to read it all together. Let's make this an honest prayer from our heart today. So let's do this together. Well, three, two, one, go. Lord, I ask you to help me surrender myself to the power and working of the Holy Spirit as I present the gospel to people in darkness. Yes, I need to speak the right words and to speak it in a way that is relevant to those who are listening to me, but I also need to come with a demonstration of the power of God. Holy Spirit, I am looking to you to help me find the right words, to empower me and flow through me, and to do your mighty work as I share Christ with people who are lost and in darkness. Today, I ask you to release your great power through me and to help me surrender when it's time to allow that power to operate. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now let's make this declaration together. I confess that I am an instrument through which the power of the Holy Spirit can flow to touch other people. I am not afraid of the power of God, nor do I hinder the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When it is time for God to show up in all of His marvelous supernatural ability, I move out of the way and make room so that God can do exactly what He wants to do. Rather than hide or thwart the power of God, 
I am a facilitator that creates environments and provides time for God to show up and show off so that people will see and know His mighty strength. I declare this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here is our action plan for this week. If you want to take a picture, you can do it now. Number one, can you think of a time when you seem to have said all the right words, but because you didn't allow the Holy Spirit's supernatural power to operate in conjunction with your message that the results weren't so outstanding? We could all say yes. Number two, can you think of a time when you did allow the Holy Spirit to move and you watched in amazement as people's hearts were softened and touched and afterward they wanted to know more about the Lord? Number three, what are you going to do differently when you present the gospel to lost people as a result of today's message? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart Providing you with direction. If so, what is he saying to you? And then number four, you need to spend at least 15 minutes or more studying your Bible every day. If we attempt to work in the power of God without daily soaking in the word of God, we will misrepresent the character of God. We've had too many silly Christians who don't love their Bible and they don't know what's in it making a fool of our family. Don't be one of those Christians. Study your Bible. Know it. So that when you feel something from the Lord, it's married to the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Pentecost. We thank you, God, that the Holy Spirit comes and he brings so much to us. He brings so much to us, God. And we say thank you, Father, for every gift, every work of the Holy Spirit that you promised he would do in and through us. And so we receive all of that from him today, God. We do not have the economy model of the Holy Spirit. We have the full luxury version. And right now, I'm praying that we would be filled again today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit again. As we leak and we leak, we need another filling today. Paul said in Ephesians, be filled. Keep on getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're asking today for that filling once again, God. We're asking that you would fill us so that our words actually have weight that they move mountains, that they, they change the course of people's lives, that they broken bodies are healed through those words of the Holy Spirit through us, God. Lives are resurrected through our words, God. Because we have power, dunamis, explosive power to change physical reality. Fill us with that power today, God. I'm asking in Jesus' name. Help us to stretch our faith, God, to get out of this building and share the gospel with a dying world. God, we repent for our fear. 
We repent for being too complacent, too lazy. Forgive us, God. We thank you the why he came. It's to be witnesses. That is the main reason, God, is to be a witness. After we are saved and he does the resurrection work in our lives, the next thing is to be a testimony to the world. Help us, God, to take the Great Commission seriously. And Father, I'm just going to even one more time just declare resurrection power to Kristen. In Jesus' name. Resurrection power, you come forth in Jesus' name. That body housed the Holy Spirit, and we say in Jesus' name, come alive. We speak life over Kristen. We speak life over the, her beautiful family. God, we love you. Love you, God. You deserve praise no matter what. You deserve our love no matter what. We love you, Father. You are a good Father. But we're asking for a miracle, God. Resurrection miracle, God. Come forth, Kristen. In Jesus' name.